We are joined with Jason Ellis from Supersource Nashville. They have been a sponsor for this podcast for almost three years. We are so honored to work with them. This is a great company and a great man. Jason, what can people expect if they give you a call? First off, they just got to give us a call. Um, we'll come out, do a complete audit of their facility, see in which ways we could help them approve, if any, um, and see what we can do as far as helping them save some money. So the first thing they got to do is just give us a call, 770-337-1143, or they can email me directly at jellis at supersourceinc.com. We'll come out, take a look at your operations, see in which ways we can help. That's amazing. So if you're out there right now listening to this, call Jason Ellis or email him today. When you hear that sound, it's probably too late. You need a guy. I want to be your guy. I'm Kevin with Corson Fire and Security, and I'm a restaurant territory account manager. Do you know who's doing your inspections at your restaurant? Please reach out to me at 615-974-2932, and I'll be glad to come out and take a quick look and look at all your fire safety inspection needs. If you're building a new restaurant, we can help with that too. As far as kitchen suppression, fire extinguishers, emergency lights, we do it all. One stop, one shop. Call Kevin at 615-974-2932. Let me be your guy, Nashville. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. The tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City. Today and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and we are powered by Gordon Food Service. Today is a fun episode of the Roundup. Carolina will be joining me very shortly with chef and partner Andrew Little from Josephine. The, this is a lively conversation where we get into lots of stuff. Uh, lots of stuff. I love it. I love uh, Andy at the end started a new segment called what's pissing me off and i think that's a really fun segment that we're getting. maybe we start doing that we used to do that on episode um with delia joe ramsey called what's the delia and it was so much fun like what is the delia with this so we had these little rants and uh we we kind of get some of that out today i want to tell you that monday we'll be talking to joe bonavalento the third he is the owner of or not the owner he's the vp at bona beef which is coming to Nashville. It's a Chicago Italian beef concept, and I'll get to learn a lot about him. Uh, Tony Galzen joins us on that interview. It's, he is a specialist in Italian beef, so it is me, Tony, and Caroline talking to Joe Bonavalento. I'm learning how to say that correctly. But uh, special Friday episode, random episode, loving. Thank you so much, Andrew Little, for coming out. So much fun, and uh, we hope that you guys enjoy this episode. We're, we're officially live. Right. Yeah, we, uh, I've, for my entire career, have been an Ecolab guy. And just uh, middle of December, we switched over, and I couldn't be happier. Switched they're over to? Super source. <laughs> so that Your right. number one source for dish chemicals and dish machines in Nashville and Atlanta. 
That is correct. That, that was that was excellent. Well, we'll, we'll cut you a check later. Thank you. Very <laughs> I'll just take some degreaser or something. Well, I've got bags. You can take any of this stuff from all these people <laughs> home with you. Um, all the sponsors behind me. We are live uh, on YouTube right now. Cool. And then this episode is going to come out on Friday. Awesome. We are live with Chef Andy Little, uh, who is the chef partner at Josephine. You betcha. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio again. Welcome back. Thank to you. Nashville. Back. You know, the first time that Andy came on the show, I was in my bonus room and I had a little microphone that I, like a little Amazon microphone, and I had my cell phone on speakerphone. And I think I like streamed it into the speakerphone while I talked to you. Love it. You're, you've you've evolved so much. <laughs> come te- a long way. There's significantly more tech happening now. Yes. Although I did miss the makeup room. So for YouTube. It's over there. Yeah, missed it. It's over there. It's all good. Well, this is this is a show called The Roundup, which is really not an interview show. Cool. Kind all right. of is. It's a show where we're just going to go over some random topics that are happening in the world, and we're just going to talk about them. Let's let the healing begin. How does that sound? Great. <laughs> well, and I actually reached out to you last week because last week we we as a restaurant community got the news that Noma is closing. And there was a lot of hubbub around this announcement. Uh, they announced that they would be closing at the end of this year and uh, in 20 or and the next year at the end of next year and then reopening as a laboratory and assuming they're making some sort of like wholesale type of food products or retail food products, that sort of thing, hot sauces and I don't know, whatever else. Um, so there was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of hot con- sauces, hot so- you know, it's the first thing that came to mind. They're fermented, right? Uh, so uh, a lot of people are posting different things about Noma closing, both, both good and bad. And I feel like I saw a lot of people really from the restaurant community posting, not, you know, so much, well, much less of an Arnold style tribute and more of a, well, you know, I, it's funny because did you see the movie The Menu? You bet. So okay, thank. We should we, give a spoiler alert right now. If you haven't seen it, we're probably going to spoil it. Yes, if you haven't <laughs> seen The Menu, well, there's going to be spoilers here, definitely for sure. But the, a lot of people are comparing the way that the menu ended, and the, the whole story in the menu, and the parallel at Noma closing, like that the, they came out roughly the same time, and there's a whole thing there. You made a post. There's somebody on Twitter. Do you have it right there? I do. Do you, do you want to read it to us, Andy? Uh, I don't really. I'm not great with reading. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you read it? I can't even see it. I'm great with reading, but my eyes are terrible. Right. So what did the Twitter post say? So it was a repost of a tweet from uh, the Sussmans, which if anybody has followed that on, on Instagram, it's kind of like a restaurant worker meme account, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, so it says, Noma. Instead of figuring out the economics, raising prices, paying stages and employees a living wage, and leading the discussion of what it costs to actually run a fine dining restaurant in an equitable way, we're just going to close in one year. And then the response is, food media, I'm not, it's very (laughs) vulgar, I'm not going to read it word for word, but basically saying that the food food media, media, oh, that's amazing. Basically, yes, yes. Put it that way. So, um, So, Andy, you reposted this, and I liked it instantly. Um, and, and I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts about, well, Andy put comments there to that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That was kind of his take on it, which I thought Uh, was 
possibly a hot take in Poss- between washing dishes or something. Yeah. <laughs> hot take between washing dishes. Um, so you said, sorry, let me pull it back up here. Uh, I think that this nails it here. If you really want to roll up your sleeves and figure out the big issues that actually matter, work on this. Quote, building a lab and exploring new flavors or whatever is just mental masturbation. Take an actual pressing issue for our industry and be an actual hero. And personally, drops the mic. I could not agree more. Oh, or don't. What do you and what do you mean by that? It's it's perfectly his prerogative to retire. Absolutely. If he wants to retire and have a lab and do whatever whatever they're doing, that's his thing. But for a certain generation of chefs, and I'm caught in between because I'm older, he was the person that everybody looked to. So if we have these bigger issues, issues that are beyond being a trailblazer for what you're putting on the plate. Shouldn't people be looking to people like Rene Redzepi for the answer? And I don't know the answer to that, but I sure feel like he has the resources to be able to do it because this whole fine dining game is a problem that we've created on our own. You want to do a restaurant that has 12 courses. You want the writers to talk about you, so you're going to do 15, and I'm going to do 21 because fuck all of you. (laughs) (laughs) But that 21 requires people to not be paid or be there as stages or interns or educational release or whatever you want to call it because the economics of doing 21 versus doing 12 just don't fit. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But who's making it so that if you have two white plates – which white plate's worth more than the other? The one that the food media says is. So part of my issue with all of it is who's driving, actually driving the car? And should how much responsibility for a lot of what we're going through, and I don't know how much, but I know that they should be taking some. The food media generally drives what fine dining means. They don't necessarily drive what casual dining is. They don't drive what fast casual is. They might say, check out this new shiny thing. But from a fine dining standpoint, there are a lot of writers. Here's a good example. If Ruth Reichel never goes to the French Laundry in the 90s and says, this is the best restaurant in America, do we ever really have the French Laundry? I don't know. We don't have the French Laundry. Do we ever really have a linea? I don't know. But the reality of it is when people are writing about food and then people are consuming what those people are writing, that determines for some part what we do, what we call fine dining. So what if that tweet that his whatever press release came out and said, this isn't sustainable. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to partially retire. We want to redefine what fine dining looks like to the globe. So we're going to go to a five course menu. And we're going to make sure that we pay everyone equitably and we're going to give them profit share, whatever. 401k is the whole nine. But fine dining to me is not this. It's not X. It's Y. And I encourage every person who's ever written about Noma to come in. Or, and let's just remove the Noma part of it. It could be anyone. Anyone who has a voice, anyone who has a bully pulpit. I encourage you all to come in and look at this five-course menu because we're redefining what we feel like fine dining is. Doors are open. We'll comp your meal. Actually, we won't comp your meal because we have all these people to pay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I mean, and there's you know there's a ton to unpack there. The I, other I thing too is like say that. I, I'm looking across and you've got an iPhone, you've got a Apple something or other there that looks like an iPad. You've got an iPhone, I've got an iPhone. I'm wearing an Apple Watch. You're you're being filmed on an Apple on an iPhone. I've got an iPhone. Right, not an ad this for Apple, a- but also made for pennies an hour by kids in China. Why is it the restaurant business is burden? Why was the restaurant business the one that we've chosen with with our you know our outrage of the day? You want to choose your outrage for they don't buy an iPhone because it's newsworthy. Is it because people want to consume it? I, I don't know. I just I feel like it's low hanging fruit. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy to go after. Can you go after a company with a two trillion dollar valuation? I mean, you can, but people aren't going to. So, in the the micro part of trying to take a swing at things and making sure that things are equitable and all the things that we want. I mean, let's start with that as a baseline. We all want those things, but where can we affect real change and how can we do that? I think it's probably more instead of, instead of like, you know, let's take swings at all in all kind of the little guy, as opposed to some of these bigger areas where we could really be trying to, I mean, I bought an iPhone, but I'm also not out saying that, X, Y, or Z should change the way they're doing business because the reality of it too is if he didn't want to make, like famously, El Bully didn't make a dime ever. Everything that they did, they didn't make a dime. And he has been very open about saying that. So, so what's that? If his, well, yeah, that's his prerogative. That's his prerogative. I think what you're saying is it's really a matter of comparison. It's really a matter of people looking at other people versus looking at yourself and asking yourself the person personal accountability to this where we're all going to judge what somebody else does we have no idea his circumstances we have no idea behind what he wants to do it's all what we're reading in all the media well what you if you want to exact change you need to look in a mirror and look at exactly what you're doing every day and go what can i do to be better today and tomorrow and continue to work on yourself and not compare with what everybody else is doing. You have to do your own thing and do it to the best of your ability. And then I hope in doing that, someone looks at that and says, Oh, and they look in inward again and it just becomes a domino effect. Yeah. You know, I think you brought up a really interesting point too, Andy, and because this is a conversation that I've had with quite a few other restaurant owner friends about I do feel like a lot of times these conversations, for whatever reason, do start with smaller restaurants and or, or restaurants in general. But I do think that a lot of time, unfairly, you know, smaller restaurants do bear the brunt of some of this, you know, uh, in, fairly or unfairly. Because, listen, if you're in an environment that is toxic and people aren't being paid correctly, you know, and, and people aren't being treated the right way, I, I, you know, that should always be acknowledged. But I do feel that it is disproportionate right now that a lot of times restaurants are the ones being called out, in particular independent restaurants who are struggling the most, where it's like, hey, go unionize Starbucks. But, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sticking my toe into waters that we're not wanting to I think they're two different right now, one is a massive corporation and you have some that are much smaller. There's, there's resources yeah you know we had lyle richardson in here as a ceo of a marshall hospitality and i said having a direct he's having a coo having a director of operations is a luxury for an independently owned restaurant a lot of people don't have this person who gets to go to these tech conferences and learn who spends 20 hours a week learning how to do the best tech and how to streamline like people are busy as fuck they don't have time to do shit like that I think the large corporations have that opportunity, and then they 
intentionally choose we're going to pay people less because we want to make our shareholders money. It changes the whole dynamic when the greed and business gets into play. And you're just not seeing a lot of that with locally owned and operated restaurants because we're trying to do, for the most part, I mean, trying to do the right thing. We're trying to put the best quality product out. We're trying to make our guests a repeat guest. We're trying to create family around the people that work with us. And the, and, and corporate greed, I think, comes in and then it casts a shadow over the entire industry. Yeah, I, I think, too, that um, I just think that there's been a lot of spotlights that I've seen on people wanting to call out or put, you know, certain restaurants on blast that are independent restaurants. Um, and maybe it's because it's more gossipy and more exciting and more, I don't know, easier, more clickbait, I suppose, than to say, hey, why are we all buying Apple products? I, I think the other thing, too, to think about maybe from a devil's advocate slash hopefully more positive side for us is part of the reason that people expect more from us is because the, the product that we're putting in front of them isn't a product. It's actually, it's personal. So people are going to small independent restaurants. They have a rapport with the staff. They know the chef. They may see some of the staff at a farmer's market that it, it's a personal thing as opposed to a calculated exchange of money for coffee for example community it's a it's a community thing so then when those same people want to affect change they want to go to the area where it's personal to them as opposed to you know i don't know anybody that works for apple or star i mean starbucks in a corporate sense you know so if they and i guess where it becomes a little bit unfair is that they just pull the guns out and start firing and they're not even though it is personal on both ends, they're not taking the steps to think, all right, well, what are the constraints of this, you know, 3% profit margin or, you know, and could we actually move the needle more if we went to a bigger corporation? If I buy lettuce from greener roots, that makes a difference on a small, 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 small scale. If McDonald's changes the iceberg lettuce that's on the Big Mac, that moves the needle. Oh yeah. So, one makes you feel good, but what's actually affecting real change? And then the other thing too is, is it really, I'm buying greener roots because that shit tastes good. You know, I mean, that's, that's it. He's a great dude. They're, they're close, but the reality of it is it's, it's a great product. I want to put food on the plate that people enjoy. Mm -hmm. And as a wicked great benefit, they're right down the road. Bonus. So it's a bonus, but you know, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe this was more than a couple of years ago, they started, uh, people were complaining about the carbon footprint of the FedEx box of lobster for the French laundry that came from Maine to California. It's like, well, okay. You know, but also, I guess with all this complaining that's going on, it's like, vote with your pocketbook. We live in a capitalistic society. If you don't like it, don't fucking eat there. You know, <laughs> I mean... Uh, that's, and he has a guard, am I allowed he has to a say fuck on this, by the way? <laughs> yeah, you are. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What do, you guys what, both looked at me like, he's a little unhinged yeah. at 9.30 in the morning. I love it. I, I, it's hard to find people that match your energy this time of the day. It's like, hell yeah, man. Man, I've been going for eight hours now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what do you, right now, your restaurant, Josephine, what are yeah. your, what's your biggest pain point you're dealing with right now? Pain point. Way to frame it in such a negative man. I don't know. What's a pain point? 
Oh, what what are your challenges? Renee is, I'm, I'm talking about in, in Revel and and Noma is saying this is too difficult. This is not sustainable. How are you? What you're doing? Is there anything you're doing that's not sustainable that you feel like is what's a challenge to you right now that keeps you up at night? I think the challenge after in our you know after nine years is um probably and I went to my, my parents were both brilliant uh, public school teachers. So I went to them a couple of years ago. It was, it was during COVID when we saw a fair amount of staff turnover. And it, it seemed to me and, and Karen as well that we kept on saying the same things over and over and over and over again because we would get people in, they would work for a while, they would just go off to the wind. And then we were constantly trying to not only retrain but also – uh, more than training, the culture of our restaurant is very important to what we do and to try and bring people along. You, you can hand someone a handbook and say that this is, this is the culture and this is what we you know, propose to be doing outside of just, you know, selling food for money. But they really have to be in it for a while to that culture is a feel thing. You can read about it all you want, but until you're in it, and also you can write about it all you want, but until you do it, that's what matters. And so constantly getting to the point where we, we felt like we were building cohesion um, was tough. And then after nine years, there's a little bit of trying to figure out um, what's the carrot that we're chasing. Um, and that changes as you get older. Late 20s, 30s, it was X. Now it's why and what really, less than a pain point, what really turns me on, and maybe the pain point is the, the switch from X to Y. What really turns me on now is mentoring what I feel like is the next generation of chefs and cooks and hospitality professionals. I mean, for me, and, and that is that was totally sitting around the dinner table with my parents who were involved in a huge way in getting kids to, you know, go through school and, and be the best kids that they could be. Now what's turning me on is to get cooks to be the best sous chefs, to be the best chefs that they could be, or in the front of the house, the exact same thing. And then I think that's an important thing for Karen too, is that we are providing an opportunity for people to learn and grow and then go off and do what they're going to do. I mean, our biggest thing is going to be how many branches can we put on the, the family tree? And so not really a pain point, just more a switch in perspective, I think. And none of that changes the fact that we really, we want to put delicious food on the plate. I mean, duh, that's the job, right? But why are you doing the job? When you get up in the morning, what what's driving you? Is it... What's your why? Yeah, that I want to find the very best asparagus in the world? Or, you know, um, or is it, I want to show person X how, you know, really to work with this in a great way and maybe a new technique they haven't seen before or a technique that they saw years ago that they're now reminded of. And more of it has to do with the human interaction and the management part of it than the actual cooking technique. Where do you find the people? Cause I, I wanting, <laughs> I mean, I feel wanting like to do that and then want, and then having people that work there that want to work in that environment. Right. Yeah. Some people just want to come in. They want to I, look, I want to cut carrots all day. Then I want to get the fuck out. And it's like, well, no, I want to, I want to help educate you and I want to teach you, make you better. And it's like, I don't really care, dude. I just need my check on Friday. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a real thing too. 100%, but there's also some education there. I mean, it, the where do you want to be in a year, where do you want to be in five-year question that always comes up. I think that that's a really important question because for me, that informs me how I'm going to teach and manage you. If I know that you're there just to pick up a check, great. I want to make sure that you can say you're there to pick up a check because you have kids and you've got a busy life outside of work. And this is the eight hours that you, you're going to come in, you're going to work, you're going to put your head down, you're going to go. Well, there's a lot that I can work with there. You don't have to want to be the next Michelin three-star chef for on the world's thousand best whatever ice cream shop restaurants. <laughs> you can you can just want to come in. You want to put your time in. Well, okay, but you can't. There's no way to manage every single person in a restaurant the same way. You just can't. And you shouldn't because everybody has different goals. Everybody has different things that they want to do. And so within the spectrum of we want this to be a great restaurant. We want our guests to be happy. There's all these little micro things. And, and that's frankly exhausting on one end, but super inspiring and fun on the other. So, you know, I feel like a lot of uh, conversation, you know, kind of how we started this talking about Noma, I feel like a lot of the conversation around Noma closing has been about the sustainability of fine dining. And while your restaurant is not one that, you know, is necessarily on the Noma uh, end of the spectrum, you're, you're definitely, I consider a fine dining restaurant, you know, Josephine for me is, is a special date night place. And I think for a lot of people as well, you know, you, you guys don't forget those half price wine Wednesdays. Well, b well, I think that you actually do <laughs> such a nice job of keeping people engaged because it, you tell people, Hey, it doesn't just have to be a special occasion place. We're going to do cheesesteak tonight. We have half price wine nights, you know, that kind of thing, um, is, is just, you know, smart marketing on your part. You you guys are smart. You're very intentional with your food. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, talking about sustainability and kind of where we've been and, and where we are, how have you seen, do you feel like you've seen things kind of change more over the last 10 years or over the last three years in terms oh. of how, how we have to, you know, kind of run our businesses and think about that kind of thing. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Y'all, Sharpie A's Bakery has been delivering fresh baked bread to locally owned and operated restaurants for over 35 years. Erin Moso and her team do an amazing job, and they are local. They're about as, I think they're like the definition of local, locally owned, locally operated, working with so many restaurants here in town. They're delivering six days a week. Take this as your sign. If you've been thinking right now, like, man, I, I feel like I, sh I should stop ordering frozen bread and I really want to have a bread program or my kitchen's always full of flour and it's just a process and we overcooked our bread. If we just had fresh bread delivered daily and make our lives much easier, this is your sign. You're hearing about it now. You need to call Erin Moso. Her number is 615-319-6453. Visit them at Sharpie's bakery.com that's c-h-a-r-p-i-e-r-s bakery.com and see all the wonderful products that they have even if you have a proprietary bread that only you make they will make your recipe for you and deliver it to you so give her a call today i bet you didn't write that number down here it is it is 615-319-6453 hey y'all we are talking about southern health insurance it is the new year if you don't have health insurance or if you're not offering health insurance to your restaurants, 
what's wrong with you? This is something that is vital and it is affordable no matter what you think. Guys, it costs $2,000 every time you turn over an hourly employee. $2,000 is what that costs you. The improved employee retention that you get from offering benefits to your team is amazing. You get happier team members, which means longer tenures, less training time and cost. Plus, when employees take care of their health, they're less likely to take sick days. This means a reduction in lost productivity and revenue from your business. Improved morale, a healthy workplace with opportunities for growth is a happy workplace. Encouraging your team's well-being will result in higher morale and a better workplace performance. If you're not offering your restaurant's insurance, you need to call Dan Marr. He's with Southern Health, 832-816-8602, and he will get you set up. Guys, this is not a commitment. If you don't offer insurance to your employees, you need to call him and just find out. It is that easy. And if you're an employee out there, if you're somebody who does not have health insurance, but you know what? That's playing with fire. You need to have health insurance. He can also offer individuals plans. So this is really important. I will work with Dan. He's an amazing guy. 832-816-8602. If you want to send Dan an email, his email is dan at southernhealthins.com. How have you seen, do you feel like you've seen things kind of change more over the last 10 years or over the last three years in terms of how how we have to you know kind of run our businesses and think about that kind of thing so every wednesday at two o'clock we do a full kitchen meeting um it's your normal boring stuff of you know this is what last week was like these are the covers this is who's coming in from a vip standpoint and that's all run by the sous chef and then i step in with some type of lesson And, or, you know, something that I feel like I want to talk about. And the thing that we talked about last week was when, when there was the switch and when, when El Bully was kind of doing its thing, we were in this, in the throes of molecular gastronomy. And that was a huge inflection point for our business. It was, you know, everybody wanted an, an immersion circulator. Everybody wanted all these things. And then when we slowly started to make the switch to farm to t- and I, I wrap up farm to table and Noma and the foraging thing all kind of together, maybe unfairly, but they, they happen around the same time. I didn't see that inflection point coming. I just didn't. We, we lived through it and it just sort of happened. And all of a sudden there were these huge volumes of books for things that I couldn't afford as a line cook. And now we're in it. We're 100% in an inflection point for the fine dining end of our business. And I don't know which way it's going to go, but it's going to go away. And I think the the beauty of it is to be able to sit back and say, all right, well, now's the time. Somebody define it. There's a huge opportunity there for someone to define it. And I don't know. I have some ideas. I think what's happening across the street for me at Locust is a big part of it. Absolutely. Um, and I would say that not for any reason other than it was forced upon us, the industry and every industry has changed more in the last three years than, than it did in the, the prior 10, because we were forced to look at things, not from a general efficiency standpoint. It was from a, you gotta, you gotta do it. I mean, we used to have five cooks on dinner. Now we have three. It's entirely a function of what did we have to do 
to manage getting through COVID. But then we, Karen and I used to sit in meetings for an hour and obsess over the type of towel in the bathroom. Was it going to be a linen-like guest towel? Was it going to be a seafold towel? Was it good? Who gives a shit? Right? I mean, at the end of the day, you wipe your hands, you throw it away. So the real things of how can we make our staff and our staffing more efficient? And then what are things that we can do to the menu that change the efficiencies of the menu that the guest has no idea in the background? How can we do that and come out of it great and What's have an example it- of that? What's something you can do in the peripheral, in the background, that can change the menu to be more efficient that the guest has no clue? The I would say one of the big ones for us is our desserts have way less touches. So it doesn't require someone who is, like right now the desserts, which happen to be in the back of the kitchen, they're all set up and ready to go. And they can be basically picked up by someone who's on the front of the line where we've trained our dishwashers to be able to do it to the point where it's not the order comes in and then it's pull out the garnish tray and it's, it's all these different things. It's here. It is very quick. Do you still have a pastry chef? We, we do. Um, but we've cut our pastry department down a lot too. And part of it has been one, what are people going to buy as opposed to, and you know, there's a, it actually comes out today. Rick Rubin has uh, written a book about creativity and he's on, I was listening to a podcast, uh, that he was talking about creativity today and the difference between commercial uh, art and just, you know, plain art. And one is you're just looking at what's going to sell. Well, from a pastry standpoint, once you've already built in your check average and you're going to get a first course and you're going to get an entree and you're going to get a a glass of wine, if if we can sell the dessert, that's money. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. So putting things on that we know people aren't going to be able to leave without is really important, but then making those things and what it ends up <laughs> it ends up actually working out great because those things actually have less touches. If you have some obscure main ingredient and then it's has like 17 different flowers and all this other shit on it, I might look at that at the end of the meal and be like, I'm kind of full. Also, let's talk about a restaurant that's literally five feet from Jenny's ice cream. <laughs> literally. Yeah. You know, so... The, how many times we have heard, I'm just going to go get some ice cream at Jenny's. And great, you know, good stuff. But what if we did have something that was a little, it was appealing to the end of the meal? So that was one thing. The other thing is leveraging some of that technology. There are a lot of things that we do that are maybe held in a water bath that can be picked up quicker. There are things that are done during the daytime as opposed to being cooked a la minute. All of those things we had to think about in order to make it reasonable for us to be able to do close to the same amount of covers with less people. So that's going to be a big part in whatever's next as well. I think that the ability to be able to do what people define as fine dining, and there's, you know, there are multiple scales of fine dining. If I appreciate the fact that uh, Josephine is thought of as a fine dining restaurant, we're never and have no aspirations for it anyway would never be thought of in the same breath as any of the world's 50 best restaurants for whatever that's worth or any of those things but it is very much a it's a fine dining restaurant that i want to go to is that a would you like that i think that 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 matters to me more than what i like what to be one of the top 50 restaurants no, not at all not even close that's because not a goal i mean if there's you no, notice there's no... if you notice 
I was going to ask you, the Masters be, was coming being up. Being in the world's 50 best probably wouldn't allow me to go play 18 holes this afternoon. So it would allow me to be sweating a detail of something that I'm, that's just not my game anymore. I got to you know? tell you, the other day I was at the, I was at the Green Hills Grill the other day, and I was sitting there with the owner, and we were talking, and a man walked up, and he goes, gentlemen, absolutely fantastic, just fantastic. And I looked up, and I, went, <gasps> and I stood up, and he goes, Jim Nance. <laughs> and he shook my hand, and I looked over at Stephen. He was like, oh, "Mr. Nance," and I was. He was like, "Just, just a fantastic experience." I have to tell you, I'm gonna just moved here. I got a house yep. in Belmead, and yep. I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm gonna tell my friends about this place. Did a great job. And he walked out, and I was just, I just was, I was floored. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it was just one of those. I don't want to name drop or any of that stuff, but it's just one of those like moments with the Masters coming up uh-huh. and the whole thing. Just. Uh, is that a golf? He is a he is an announcer. <laughs> oh, okay. So he call, okay. he's the announcer for the Masters. Got mm-hmm. it. So every time Tiger, anytime he wins the Masters, he's the one who he calls the Masters, calls yes. NFL games. He's soothing the, voice, I assume. Jim Nance and um, Tony Romo, I think, do the yeah. calls on. Oh. on well, I think Jim Nance was actually the a tradition unlike any other. Yes, that is him. Um, and I'm not sure who owns that, but that's. I always hear that in his voice. And I think the story there was that he actually said that for his dad um, the first time he said it. Really? And I, I don't know anything more about it, so let's, I shouldn't have brought it up. Well, <laughs> see, how, see how fast we turn. Well, I was going to say. Can we just talk about I golf now? Have, I actually do have one <laughs> other question before we transition into um, golf restaurant radio. Um, is there something that is happening right now either that that you recognize in your own restaurant or that you kind of see in the industry as a whole that you think is is on kind of a the countdown has begun if this is not going to be sustainable in a year or two we've got to figure out a way to address this right now you know what what do you kind of think that that next thing is if, mm. if there's something like for example i you know i feel like during the pandemic for us it was trying to figure out how to operate the kind of restaurant we wanted to run, but also pay people what we needed to pay to stay competitive and hire staff, but, you know, also be this kind of more casual restaurant that can't support, you know, all these salaries, that sort of thing. So can I, can I interject there with, yeah. with a side question? Man, I can't take too many questions at once. Were you <laughs> ma- I, I, Technology, right? So technology, I think is that thing that, these big, these big, huge chains. You go to McDonald's, you can order from a kiosk now. It makes it pretty easy. The large companies typically adopt that stuff, and then it goes down to where they can put it down. Into you mentioned efficiencies and how can you do things like the the desserts. Technology, I think, could be that big boom that hits locally owned operated restaurants when all of a sudden there's technology that's. QR codes, and now we don't necessarily need as many service staff. We can hire three SOMs and a couple people that come in, and they might have 10 tables they go talk to, but then the people order themselves. And that's a major thing that could hit the industry because a lot of people out of the jobs. I mean, there's a lot of jobs that potentially go away, and they have, they have, they have a, a technique called a flippy. I and literally, there's burger places that have a thing that flips the burgers. There's, it's on. called flippy. Yeah. No, yeah, if you go if you go to six one five Chutney in Bellevue, a robot cat delivers your food. Really? Right, that, that's a little odd. You you order your food, <laughs> you order your food, and then literally this robot that looks like a cat and says meow 
goes through the restaurant, comes up to your table, and it says, "Here's your food." And you pull your food off the thing, and it says, "Thank you." And then it wa- and it goes back to the kitchen. It parks. They load it back up. They hit the table. It goes to, and then it goes straight to the table. Fun. That that ha- it's a, I see it all over social media. So I live in Bellevue. <laughs> People love the cat waiter that's there. But like, so I think well, the first part of it, I think that tech is going to it's going to be there. I mean, it, it almost has to be. The thing that I would hope we don't lose is, and it's the thing that I love about going to your place. This thing about, I love about, there's something about the dining experience. Like, I don't care. I I would prefer to order from a kiosk at McDonald's. You know, I I prefer the lack of human interaction there. But when I go to a a place that's, you know, a great fast casual place or independent restaurant or a fine dining restaurant. I expect a little bit of human interaction. It's kind of why I'm there. Yeah. And so I would see the tech probably happening more. Uh, I would hope that it happens a little more away from the view of the, the end user uh, away from the view of the guest. Um, and there's a lot of room for it to happen in the kitchen, frankly. Um, and that will help because the the reality of it is, yeah, you know, we're paying people more, um, paying them more equitably now. But I will tell you, and I'm I don't know, I would guess that you and Tony have experienced this. What we're seeing coming in from uh, an interview standpoint, though, are cooks with way less ability level, um, and you know, some people might think that that's a scary thing to say. <laughs> It's an objective reality. It, we used to have a trail sheet that would just list within a certain amount of time the things that you're supposed to do. The reality of that now is that people, one, not only can new cooks, trails, interviews not make it through the whole thing in time, there are areas of that that I consider basic disciplines that they can't even do. Can, so, I ask, can I ask what one of them is? Like, for example. Turning a potato. Okay. I mean, we're not even in fluting a mushroom area, but I think that turning a potato is just a general good knife skill that people should know. Uh, the omelet definitely trips people up. They do it, but don't execute it maybe in a way that, and it's, it's, it's not like it's, uh, here's the sheet, bang it out and give it to me in an hour. It's. You know, Technique. The, the sous chef is going through it with them and showing them this is what our expectation is for an omelet. This is what our expectation is for a turned potato. This is what, you know, showing them, here it is, produce it. And they're also not, you know, we're not asking them to jump across the Grand Canyon. It's, you know, chop a pint of parsley and you know, can you mince garlic? I mean, easy things. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, the ability level isn't there. And then to your point, sometimes the desire isn't even really there either. It's just like, yo, uh, can I get a job? And all right, you know, I mean. But you know, it <laughs> seems like, so when I when I was growing up, I assume that, you know, we're all kind of around the same age. It, it seemed like. I, I appreciate that you said that. Yeah, thank I like that. Wow, thank you, Caroline. <laughs> we are, we are. Um, I, well, I feel like we're all kind of the same generation. We've all had the same similar experiences, I think, coming up in restaurants. When I was first working and coming up in restaurants, it was the Food Network existed, but it was like Emerald, you know, and it was the, actual the food, two hot tamales or <laughs> whatever, was, yeah. you know, um, it was pre, you know, Top Chef and 
this is everything's trendy and whatever. I remember when mojitos came around as a hot new cocktail. You know, we were still making drinks with razzmatazz. Um, Are you so saying that's not a hot new cocktail? Because, <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, craft cocktails weren't a thing when I started working at restaurants. Um, I think I was still shooting Goldschlager then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it, but I feel like the people that I was around and, and the people that I worked with that were my peers were people who were, for the most part, as dedicated and passionate and as excited about working in restaurants as I was. It was, you know, kind of our career path. We wanted to learn more about food and wine and technique and service and all of these things. And I feel like young people who are kind of, you know, have those aspirations seem much fewer and far farther between. And I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's maybe there's a lot more restaurants than there used to be. And, you know, what what's your experience with that? Because I, I've actually said to Tony many times, if I was going to get a job waiting table somewhere right now, Josephine is the number one place because it reminds me so much of you know, fine dining restaurants that I worked at in Chicago. And you guys are kind of old school. And I, I say that with the, you know. Reverence. I, absolutely. I love that. I love what you guys do. Um, so so why do you think that is? Do you guys find that as well, that it seems like there's less kind of people who are excited to make a career in this industry as there used to be? or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is, uh, we're going to wade definitely into get off my lawn territory. Um when I was coming up, and I just had a, a conversation with Brian Weaver about this, um, we were in it because I can't tell you the amount of hours that I worked that I didn't get paid for. I mean, I just, I did. We were I was just talking about that before you came in, and not that it's you know, what I didn't think was well, this a good thing. Is this a bad thing? I worked three jobs once because there were three different chefs that I wanted to learn from, and so I would work breakfast at an inn. And then I would go and work lunch and dinner for another chef. And on my one day off, I would go and work for the third chef for dinner. Because there was shit that I could steal there or learn either way. You, but, were, you were trading. Yeah, 100%. There, there were things that, that I knew I was going to pick up. And at 20-whatever, I didn't think about the hours. I didn't think about any of it. It was just an education. And for what I had already paid... To go to CIA, this was a pretty cheap education because I was getting paid something for it. Um, and so, but I wasn't thinking about work-life balance. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was chasing a carrot. And at that point in time, the carrot was, I need to learn as much as I possibly can because this, I'm getting into a business that is one, so, all I mean, so many different cuisines in the world, so much technique, so many, and it seemed to me at that point like a new thing was coming. Boom, 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 all the time. And the internet wasn't, this is I'll definitely date myself, then the internet wasn't, social media wasn't there. The internet was still dial up and wait. And it was, you couldn't get nearly the amount of information that you could. So it was trips into New York City to go to Kitchen Arts and Letters and buy whatever books they told me to buy. I would just walk in and say, what's everybody buying? And it was, you know, as soon as you walked in the door, the left side, it was all the European books. And I would just buy them and have them sent home. And so I was in it in that way. And now if you do find, and that seemed to be the majority of the people that I was around. And I always put myself in places where I knew that the rest of the team was pushing in a direction that I was pushing because the best way to get better is to be around those people. 
now it seems that's tougher to find. And we're having all these conversations about work-life balance. And again, they're all good conversations. You can't tell me in the early 2000s that Michael Phelps ever thought about work-life balance. That dude was in the pool. All the time. If you want to be great at he something. put in the work. If you want to be great at something, you've got to give away almost everything else. And that's not to say that there shouldn't be a work-life balance. There shouldn't be. There should be. The opportunity for that should be there. The opportunity for pushing yourself to the absolute limit to be the best that you can should also be there. And I would argue that we're losing a little bit of that. That needs to be more of the conversation. There need to be more people. And it needs to be okay. It shouldn't have to be, you have to do this. If you come into the restaurant, you've got to be at a you know a thousand miles an hour all the time. But if you want to be, there's an opportunity for it. Um, and I wish that that was a little bit more part of the conversation. We can have both things. But if you want to be truly great at anything, you've got to be willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. And you can't do that 40 hours a week. I love every single thing you just now said. When I was coming up, same sort of a way, I didn't have social media. I didn't have, we didn't really have food. Wasn't life so much more fun then? We didn't have any of that stuff. We had books. Mm -hmm. And you could read about these people who are heroes to me in this service. And then you worked with people in restaurants that you fell in love with, like your team, like you, like the, the old adage of a pirate ship, like you were in the building and it was a school of hard knocks. I, mean, I left school to go manage a restaurant in Mississippi because I thought I get to go work in the city where the owners live and they're going to, they're going to be mentors to me. And I can sit in a classroom and have somebody tell me how to do it, but I want to go, I want to go physically be in the action and go do it. And you look at now, if I'm growing up today, I look on social media, what all these people are doing, and I walk in the door to a restaurant and I go, I want to do that. I think I can do that. And you're like, well, what did you do to prepare yourself? Well, nothing. You're supposed to do that for me. Or I'm supposed to just walk in. And there's this, I don't know, there's this expectation that, well, I don't have to put the work in. I see it. People do it on a lot. I see people post about it on social media all the time. It's not that hard. And you go, no, no, no. You don't know what I did to get here to this point. Point. And it was a lot of fucking work and it was a lot of passion. It was a lot of reading. It was a lot of working for free. And I busted my ass. I worked 15 hour days plus. And that's how I learned what I have now. And it's hard for me to have somebody come in and go, yeah, I really don't give a shit, but I want to be, I want to be a celebrity chef or I want to be on this TV show or I think I can do it. And you're like, but you haven't put the work in. Well, I don't want to do the work. And you're like, well, that's why they make shake weights and these little belts shake you wear that shot that shock you into having an abs. Like well, you, you don't want to do the work. You don't want to get in the pool and swim for eight hours a day. You just want to be Michael Phelps. And that's know, I think that's a that's a it's an epidemic. As much as I lament, like, oh man, I wish that I felt like there was, you know, this kind of current generation of people who seemed as dedicated and as passionate, as excited as we did. I think a lot of it, you know, has been kind of created by the industry itself a lot of the you know kind of people being you know not wanting to get into the industry we have people that were you know lauded as heroes the batalis and the beshes of the world who you know kind of a few bad apples have have spoiled the whole bunch and you know i, I don't i don't think it's quite that bad but i don't know i i think there's plenty of times that i could have you know i had a horrible chef who 
was, you know, just awful. And it would have been very easy for me to be like, fuck this, you know? Um, so I think that a lot of young people have maybe only seen those headlines and are thinking, oh God, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. You know? That's a, a whole nother side of it. Yeah. And for those people, I would say, uh, great. Stay away. Pro- probably not your bag. And not, not stay away because anything that you mentioned is good. Right. I would say this isn't the type of business where you can just think, ah, I saw that on TV and I really think the tall white hat is super cool. I want to get in there. You've got to get in and do it. And then it, this business selects you. It just does. And if you have the tenacity to do it, if you have the work ethic to do it, if you're willing to get in and roll up your sleeves and scrub pots and do all the things that aren't on TV. You want to be a great chef, do everything that's not on TV. And that includes Top Chef and even Chef's Table, any of the stuff that we would anoint as a good TV show. Get in and do the stuff that you don't see there. If you enjoy that, if you enjoy the actual work of it, get in the business. Also, for those of you who are listening, and think that I said that there's no one out there who is aggressive in progressing their career and is really uh, after it. Josephine's located at 2316 12th <laughs> Avenue South. The door is open if you'd like to apply. We'd love to have you. And that's another thing. There's a lot of people out there who are. There's a lot of I, Every 100%. time that I meet somebody who comes in who has that twinkle in their eye and they, you can tell they've got, they don't, they're not as polished as you want. You're like, I can teach you if you're coachable. We have some great young people at Nikki's right now who just three, three guys who just moved here from Vermont and kind of the one guy started and then said, Hey, my buddy needs a job too. And then they said, Hey, our other buddy needs a job too. And these kids just graduated from college. They are the most dedicated, hardest working, nicest kids. And I'm just like, Oh, so great to see people so young who are so excited about learning and working hard and, you know, not to say my other employees aren't. We, we have a wonderful team, but it's sure. just, these are my, this is my youngest kind of employees. Who but are, if you get somebody who yeah. walks in the door like that and says, all right, chef, I don't have a lot of experience and I'm going to make, probably make a lot of mistakes. But one of my best qualities is that I learned from my mistakes. And I never make the same mistake twice. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Will you help make me a, a very well-rounded kitchen employee at my goal one year in 10 years is to be a chef somewhere, but I got to start from the bottom. Will you help me get there? I'm coachable. I'm ready to do whatever you need me to do. I'll wash dishes. I'll do whatever. I'll work all day long. I want to work here. Uh, this is going to sound absolutely awful, but yeah, if you tell me that in two weeks, because I can come in guns blaring in a, uh, but you gotta, in, a, you in an perform. initial interview, and I can tell you whatever. Yeah, I want to do all these things. But when you're scrubbing a mountain of pans at one in the morning, you still want it that bad. You know, when something didn't go right out of your pan and the sous chef sent it back to you and you were embarrassed in front of the entire line, you still want it that bad? In two weeks, if you still want it that bad, I'll do whatever you want. A hundred percent. I think that this job, you, you said it, the job picks you. And I... I told people that we're doing a wine class today, and I said, guys, this isn't something that we're, we're we're doing this because I want you guys to learn the wine so that you can pair it with food and create a better guest experience for your guest, right? Ultimately, it also helps sales, but really, the goal is to help pair 
appropriate wine with appropriate food to make the experience better. But guys, listen to what we're doing right now because this information will help you when you're 50. The wine information you're learning right now is the number one thing that people are intimidated about when they go eat at a nice restaurant. Wine, picking out wine. Right now, you have the opportunity to learn. You have somebody who wants to teach you wine. When you're 50, you're going to pay $150 to do this because you're going to go, oh, I want to go to a wine. But you're doing it for free, right? And we're giving you this education. That education, that as a, as a small piece of what you're teaching are life skills. This is how you overcome uh, anxiety. This is how you overcome obstacles every single day. How many days that you've worked in a restaurant has the night and everything gone exactly to script? Oh, we wrote never. this. We wrote this up. This is how it's going to work. And then that's the way life is. How many jobs out there working in these restaurants and understanding, putting that work in not only makes you a better employee for that job, but you're talking about life skills. When you leave the restaurant, whatever time, whatever you want to go do, hopefully it's you want to do this forever if you go open your own place. But these are skills that go way beyond restaurants. When you're in the grocery store line and something happens, I immediately react. And I move to it because I'm not afraid of any of that stuff because I see it every day all the time. And it's a, it's it's more than just you're in working. Like these, This is a really difficult job that prepares you for a lot of other things in life. Well, and you're building value too. If, you know, as a function of working – at restaurant X and you were there as a, you worked the fish station. So you know how to break down fish, uh, everything that goes with working the fish station, you're great at it. But then if I can go and apply to your restaurant and I worked fish at restaurant X, but Oh, by the way, I also, I made friends with the pastry chef. And so I have some baking skill. Now all of a sudden I'm worth $2 an hour more, maybe more than that. So everything that you can learn makes you more valuable to the next step. And then when you get to a point where you need to acquire an investor or you need to get some type of capital, again, it's just you're worth more because there are more things that you can do. What are you going to do when the pastry chef has to call out because he's sick? Well, you just get in there and you roll up your sleeves and you get it done because you know how to do it. The glaring weakness that I had when we moved here was I didn't know anything about how to fix anything. Now, I would say that I could probably come to your places and fix some of your plumbing. Yeah. I'll and be calling you. <laughs> I definitely know my way around refrigeration, and I definitely know my way around taking apart a gas stove. I mean, those things. Now, if you can go in, I mean, you know what it costs just to get someone out. If you can get them out. It's a big hey, deal. Hey, my oh, refrigerator's yeah. down. It'll be two weeks. At least. Oh, give me a call. You know, because those are the things that make you then more valuable and, in my head, more dangerous. I want people that are dangerous. Like you've got a lot of different things you can do. That's dangerous. I got a guy came out to my house who does, who's my HVAC was down and I called him and he gets me and said, well, hey man, if you're anything else, I do HVAC, plumbing and electricity. And I go, excuse me? Yeah, you're my guy. You do all, I go, will you be my guy? And he goes, I said, you're a local guy. You live in Fairview. I want you to come around. I want you to walk around my entire house with me right now and look at, these are all the little things I have. And then I want you to learn everything. And I kid you not. He was like, yes, sir. And we met and we, he, he said, I'm not going to say his name because. <laughs> right. But let's do that off the air. Cause after, after yeah. he's done with your project. He's this guy is amazing. So my water heater went out the other day and it was Sunday night at eight o'clock. And I'm like, what do you do? I called the guy's cell phone. He goes, Hey, this is someone I said, Hey man, hey, this, I'm sorry to collect. No problem, buddy. What's going on? Hey, I can come out tomorrow morning. I'll take care of it for you. Hey, did you know if you call the guy, your water heater, is it still under warranty? And I go, well, I bought the house and I don't know. And he's like, go look at it. Is it this model? Is it this, this? And it was, took it home depot, brand new free water heater, 
because and the dude did all this, came in the next day. You want to fit it with these things and like what? Like if yeah. you have that guy, uh-huh. you learn those things. And I I knew that from being in the restaurant. I was like, wait a minute, you do all. You're a triple threat, mm-hmm. and you have availability. Yeah. Will you just come here? Come here. Come here. You're mine. That's a good thing. Hey, since I'm here and I now have the microphone in front of my face, uh, let's talk about things that uh, piss us off. We're going to jump right into that segment right after these words from our sponsors. Starting off as a fresh produce and specialty foods company, What Chefs Want has been serving Nashville since 2005. This is how they do it. They literally started off, Ron Trenier, who's owner of the company, started off and said, I'm going to interview chefs and I'm going to figure out what's going to make their life easier. And you know what chefs told him? We don't want to have minimums. We want to order whatever we want whenever we need it. So he said, okay, I'll deliver you one avocado if that's what you want. They said they want deliveries on Sundays. Okay, we'll deliver seven days a week. They want customer support. Even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I need to chat with somebody, so he said 24-7, customer support. They wanted a diverse line of products. So ever since that day, they've just been adding product lines like crazy. That goes to a fresh beef line. We have seafood, specialty food, dairy, produce. They kind of do it all. They're amazing, and they are here to be what chefs want. Give them a call, 800-685-10, or visit them at whatchefswant.com. We are talking about net checks, N-E-T-C-H-E-X.com. And I want to read you a review that I saw. This is from Regal Hospitality. And Regal Hospitality is a hotel management company with 12 hotels across six states, focusing primarily on Hilton, IHG, and Marriott brands. They came to net checks after several years with Paycom. One of the struggles we had with our previous company is that they didn't have a good understanding of our industry and our industry-specific needs, said Erica Payne, human resources manager at Regal Hospitality. With a large number of clients from the hospitality sector, NetChecks is uniquely positioned as one of the go-to choices for the industry through their partnership with Hotel Effectiveness. Guys, that is the thing. That is the thing that you've got to be looking into is that NetChecks partners with restaurants. They know our industry. They partner with hotels. They know that industry. And Lauren Domain is the person that is specializing in your restaurants. Her number is 615-319-9200. She is passionate. She is engaged. She loves this industry. And when you think about who does your payroll, do they love the restaurant industry? Do they live here in town? Are they going to fight for you? Are they going to know your business in and out? really partner with you? I mean, ask yourself that question. That is what NetChecks does. And Lauren, I've had so much fun getting to know her. She's so passionate, and I just love everything that they're doing. Again, you want to call her. Her number is 615-319-9200. Give her a call today. We are supported by Robbins Insurance, an independent insurance agency known for providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins is also known for delivering exceptional coverage to Nashville's restaurants and bars. Whether it's a fryer fire that sets off the sprinkler system and leaves your restaurant sopping wet on a busy Saturday night, or it's a once-in-a-decade tornado that cuts off your electricity and subsequently spoils all the food in your walk-in, Robbins has seen it all. and They know how to create policies that will get your business back on its feet as quickly as possible in the event a disaster strikes. Look, when it comes to insuring your restaurant, bar, brewery, bakery, grocery store, hotel, or 
whatever, you need someone who knows the industry, who understands your business, and who will create a policy that protects your space, your staff, and your concept. That's Robbins. Visit Robbins' website at robbinsins.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-I-N-S.com to request your insurance consultation. Once again, that's robbinsins.com. Hey, buddy. Oh, wow. Things that piss us off? I'll start. That sounds positive. Go. I want people to stop talking glowingly about obviously bad places. <laughs> oh, tell us. Are we naming names? No. Oh. oh, no, absolutely not. But I just think, you know, we're Do in... Do you mean bad like the food isn't good or bad like they're run by bad people? Here's the thing. If, <laughs> if you go to a restaurant and the redeeming quality of the restaurant is the neon Instagram-worthy bathroom... Maybe you shouldn't be talking about it, or it should be on a bathroom podcast. Oh, I, I, wow, love this. Inter- I mean, here's the thing. Love interesting, shit. here's the thing. Take, uh, I know, the I, best new restaurant is the dumbest award that could ever be given out. Who won best new restaurant in the scene writer's choice this year? Oh, I'm not even talking about Nashville, I just mean in general. In and general. From, from my perspective, Josephine was, a, was not a good restaurant when we opened. It just wasn't. Your shit's not together. You're overstaffed. You you're not sure what direction you're way. going. It's just, everything's kind of restaurant, not yours. <laughs> everything's just kind of wah. And so this this thing that we're into where every shiny new thing is great is not true. It's objectively not true. There so, might be a couple, but I would tell you ninety percent of new restaurants that open aren't great for the first six months. I will tell you. I'll find this real quick. You, oh, I know something that pisses Brandon off. Because we texted about it yesterday. What is it? Shambongs. <laughs> what is that? There's you a know restaurant. what a shambong is? No. Please. So a shambong is a champagne flute oh, that is now kind I know. of shaped no. like yeah. a curve. Yeah. And at Marsh House, which this is and not a new thing. They've been doing this for champagne. like. Okay. They've been doing this for like six years. All right. And they have shambongs. Okay. And it's. You know, a brunch thing. I, I personally think that it's kind of genius marketing because, you know, think about L.A. Jackson does their brunch with a DJ and bachelorette parties and all of that. Yep. Like, I'm a girl. I want shambongs. Like, you know. Um, so, but Brandon you're saw not, this. And you're not a shambong his, fan? It made his head explode. I don't drink. That's, yeah, I mean, okay. I don't, I don't drink. But the and concept I'm, But of there's the a shampoo. culture around sobriety, and there's a culture on this. Sure. And I think about nice restaurants and think, wow, we need a way to mainline champagne because our culture isn't centered around getting wasted enough. Now we have to figure out ways to drink champagne without even tasting it. Now we just want to just mainline champagne. Like, yeah. We're bringing Panama City Beach to nice restaurants in Nashville. Now, now to be fair, as someone who... Has done many shambongs and actually owns my own set of shambongs at home. God, I feel like we need to hang out more. <sighs> Come over, let's shambong. Um, it's it's a fun party thing. Like it was my girlfriend's birthday party. I, I brought it, and it's not like we're drinking a whole bottle of a shambong. It's like a it's like doing a shot. You know, you and it's honestly it's probably like three to four ounces of champagne. It's not like it's not like a, a beer funnel where you're doing the whole beer and it's just like a fun little toast. Okay, so the, I'll give you I'll give you some reference here. I've just did a show with we just did a show with um uh, Becca Gardner who owns a, a really good spirits company that, that she extracts the alcohol, it's a non-alcoholic spirit. 
And for dry January, I've been talking about, I just went to a dry January pop-up where I was around a whole group of people who were talking about sober culture and this whole thing. And then the next morning, I see this shambong, and it just, it struck me in that moment. Kind of like I said, it was something in between. A, I saw it and I went, without any context, without knowing well, and I'm not a drink. I've been drinking over three years, and it's a it's a cultural thing. And I think about Nashville and what Nashville is known for. And there's a lot of really amazing things about Nashville, and we just keep diluting it. And I cool. feel like that's another thing. So that actually kind of circles back to my uh, excessive rant about all the you know the new restaurants and all the shiny new things. Nashville has some great restaurants, and we should be talking about them. Over and over and over and over again. Best new restaurant should be a category if there's a new restaurant that supplants a current restaurant. But is that always often the case? No. But if it is the case, that would be a big fucking deal. Instead, it's new, 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 when I would rather talk about and talk about them over and over and over again, the places that are doing it well and have been doing it for a while. My favorite place to go for my birthday is Sperry's. Oh, love Sperry's. It's been around for 48 years, and I only know that because it was the year I was born. But that place is super cool. Do I want people taking buses from Lower Broadway to Sperry's? No, because I want to be able to go there. But the reality of it is there is a ton to Nashville that the narrative should be shifting to. And if we all or people who are influencing it or writing about it or whatever would shift to the things like what do we want Nashville to be to non-Nashvillians and if you poll people who aren't from here what's Nashville they're probably going to tell you something about the lower five blocks of Broadway absolutely okay fine to me that's a that's a good amenity for us to have but you ought to also be talking about some of the other things that are here. And if we're not talking about them ourselves within our community, people who are doing great work, then we're doing all of everyone a disservice. You know, this is something that really bugs me a lot too. And, um, you know, we've talked about doing a topic show kind of around, around this idea. And I think that Nashville, I think that the pandemic was a, a tipping point for us. And I think that when, Cities had a decision to make of saying, are we going to do the close down in the interest of health or are we going to say it's a free-for-all? Nashville chose to say it's a free-for-all. And we started to attract a certain kind of tourist who was a tourist that maybe wasn't so into science, wasn't so into medicine, safety, this sort of thing. Um, And... I think that the messaging that went out from Nashville was, hey, we're wide open, come to Broadway and party, super spreader event every night of the week. Um, And that's when we really took the focus off of, hey, here's all these great neighborhood restaurants, here's all these interesting things to do besides Lower Broadway, and all of the eggs got put into the basket of Lower Broadway. Now, I think that started to backfire a little bit in recent years. And I think, too, not just... I mean, Nashville actually has world-class restaurants. Absolutely. In addition to neighborhood restaurants, in addition to great fast casual restaurants that I hope are Nashville-based and we're promoting them for the right reason 
And that was my whole thing about the bathroom is like, we've got people who have crazy great technique and who are doing really interesting things. And I get it. You know, I understand that there's a whole culture. Again, you're, you know, there are cultures to certain things because I am admittedly somewhat protective of our restaurant culture. I would like to see the people who are putting the time in and who have proven themselves to be talked about more and more and more and more and more. So new kid on the block. Great. I mean, we were the, Josephine was the new kid on the block. I remember I hadn't even been here for four weeks and I met Pat Martin at an event and he jokingly called me a carpet bagger. And I feel like after 10 years of living here, I'm not anymore, but I mean, I feel like I'm as Nashville as, uh, as I could be in 10 years. I've, I've always been very excited about people who have talent, who come to town, who want to build community. If you join the community, when you come, I don't care where you're from. Look at Chad and Gracie, when over or perfect Gracie when Chad Newton at, yeah. at East Side Bon Me, they come in from out of town, but they're immediately contributing. Yep. Like I don't give a fuck where you come from. It just join this this city. Yeah, I actually met Chad for the first time. They had just gotten to town went at a um, Action for Hospitality volunteer event during the pandemic. I mean, so Frank Gluck wrote an article in the Tennessean, um, uh, December twenty seventh, two thousand twenty two says, looking for a new place to eat? Nashville's restaurant scene will have to see these new additions in 2023. He interviewed me for this, about this, and here's what I said. Brandon still a Nashville restaurant veteran, host of Nashville Restaurant Radio, said he worries more local restaurants are closed in 2023. Now that the pandemic-related financial assistance has ended and continued to climb. I'm not saying I don't want growth in our city. I'm all for it, but I think there's got to be balance, still said. I've always felt like there's way too much emphasis on the new restaurants versus the people who have been doing it here for a really long time. That was my quote. I'm not gonna. I don't. I concur. I don't know who's coming, <laughs> but let's focus on the people who've made this community what this community is. The people that continue to contribute in this community. When you said that, when you said initially, I'm like, oh shit, he's talking about me. Are we glorifying people we shouldn't on the show? Like, what is that? What it is? But I don't feel like we do. I feel like we focus really. I want to tell the stories of people who've been here for a long time. And to be fair, I'm not talking about any. I'm talking about our culture in general of chasing. Shiny new things. shiny things. Yeah. And also our culture of, you know, we've people have to listen to this podcast. People have to read the Tennessee and people have, in order for these businesses to be viable in order for the content to continue to be out there. So you've got to put new content in front of people. How many times do you want to hear about Rolf and daughters and city house and folk and, uh, four four and Josephine at, well, I want to hear about them a lot, yeah. frankly, you know, and I don't want, and, and you know, I want to hear about the cool, uh, cool ass Christmas thing that's happening at Nikki's. I want to hear about that kind of stuff. And then I think that the brilliant thing about Nashville's uh, restaurant community is exactly what you stated. If you come into town and you have a unique perspective and you have a, a great deal of talent and you want to be part of Nashville's restaurant community and what makes Nashville great open arms 100%. And there's a way to do that. You know, you go out and you eat in the the restaurants and you say, Hey, my name is so-and-so and and I'm from Cincinnati and I'm going to open this new waffle shop or what, I don't know, but you go out and you make friends with people. You, you buy their product and you, somehow you know put yourself in the community and offer to do things and and 
you know, be seen in that way, but also be seen in a way that the end goal is to make Nashville a better restaurant city. Um, I think that that's super important. The more things that I see coming in that I'm just like, damn, that looks like a money grab to me. You know, um, I'm not like, I'm probably not going to go there because there are so many places that are great that are doing a lot for our community. Yeah. I, I feel that way. I mean, yeah. When, when we moved here from Chicago, we, a big part of the reason of us moving here is we wanted to open our own restaurant. And at that time in Chicago, all the neighborhood restaurants were closing and all the big restaurant groups were taking everything over. And now when I go home and visit Chicago, I feel this shift where it seems like all of the reasons that we wanted to leave Chicago are now for better or for worse during the pandemic, kind of a correction happened and a lot of big restaurant group places in Chicago closed. And now the neighborhood restaurants are thriving and I'm starting to see that happen in Nashville where it feels like the neighborhood restaurants, thankfully I wouldn't say are closing necessarily, but like, I don't know, Arnold's just closed. And we've got all these big restaurant groups and all these corporations. And an ounce coming to, to Nashville. Coming into town. And where does that where does that leave us? Literally us. So did you hear that in and out was coming to Nashville? Yeah. Was it not on every single person in the world shared that? Yeah. And I'm not trying to I'm not an in and out guy. Like I've I'll I'll go What? Uh, if if we go to the West Coast, um I'll go and grab one. I am a cheeseburger guy, if you could probably tell. Uh, <laughs> so I'll go and get one, but I'm not going to plan a trip around going to In-N-Out. Oh, God, I no. mean, uh, you know, so, okay, that's I just, fine. Nothing's better than Hugh Babies to me. I was going to say, Hugh, 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 Hugh Babies is better. I mean, also, if you're in the 12 South area between the hours of 5 and 7, Josephine has a pretty good burger uh, that's oh, yes. available. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm more excited about Wawa coming because that's kind of a, a Philly thing. Uh, as far as things that are, are coming like that. But, you know, again, it's like I think that we we haven't talked about real estate yet, and I think that's a driver for oh, yeah. for the things that, that you're talking about. And, and, you know, how much of this is a natural evolution in every city? Sure. You know, Union Square Cafe has to move after how many decades because it just, you know, wasn't sustainable there anymore. So, you know, part of it is is that, but – I just am more concerned with the the vitality and how robust the and from top to bottom, from fast food the whole way up to uh, what I would consider Nashville's world class restaurants um, that we're doing good work and the restaurants that are objectively doing great work are seeing a little bit more press for it. Um, sometimes I think it's pretty easy to forget. Uh, a place, you know, when was the last time you've been to X Jimmy Kelly's, you know, something like that. I've never been to Jimmy I've Kelly's. Also never That's what I'm been saying. To Jimmy yeah. Kelly's. Well, it's, it's, cl- I think Steve Smith just bought it and it's closed, but oh. like, it's not, uh, but it was the steakhouse been there in a, for forever. Local and local legend kind of a thing. Cafe Nono was one of those, like, you know, like Daniel Maggi Pinto over there. Like you gotta, you gotta go to cafe. The food there's fucking amazing. And it's the feel. It's like you're in a little European cafe and it's so it doesn't have the barn wood and the neon, but like, man, it is the community. It is Sylvan Park. Is there Park Cafe? Is another yeah. great one. I mean, it's the the soul of you know, a, a restaurant is four walls and stuff. 
Yeah. And the people in it breathe the life into it and breathe the soul into it. And when you're in an independent restaurant, when you're in a smaller restaurant, when you're in a restaurant that is built around a neighborhood, they have that. But you can also go into restaurants that you feel like the life has been sucked out of it. And, and you know, that's okay. That's the other thing, too, is that it's different strokes for different folks. If people love going to restaurant X, I'm a proponent of the more of the things that we're doing because I want to go into a restaurant and I want to feel that feeling, whatever it is. And, you know, as far as that feeling goes, I want to go to Locust and hear Lamb of God on the, <laughs> I want to hear them blasting heavy metal because that's what that restaurant is on top of the world-class technique on top of the great sourcing. That's just who they are. And I love that. Uh, I run the Green Hills Grill and Maribel, my two restaurants, right? Yeah. So Green Hills Grill is the most special place. We don't market to any tourists. It's, it is a community, like 90% of our guests live within three miles of the place, right? But it's amazing when you go there at lunchtime because there's all these people there. And you take somebody back to a table and you're on a wait and you're going, follow me, sir. And you get back and you get halfway through and you're like, how? Oh, they're stopping to talk to somebody. And they see their buddy. And then you go, you're like, Come on, come on, come on. And I got to see more people than you keep walking and they stop by and see somebody else. And you're like, that's it. That's the thing when you can't see tables fast enough because mm -hmm. everybody stops because they keep seeing their neighbors at the tables. You're like, that's it. That's the thing that we want. That's that feeling. That's that vibe. It's a pretty special thing. We have 10 more minutes. Cool. And then we got it. We got a. We got Carrie Bringle coming in. Oh, geez. So can I be part of that one too? Cause I feel like that, <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. All right. What are uh, we going to do? We're going to accomplish in 10 minutes. Let's do it. Well, what do you want to talk about? You I would like to have some work life balance. So I would like to leave right now. Okay. Let's talk about Arnold's closing. It's because your That's a real estate thing. I think that's a, that's a real estate play, right? I mean, he's got that, that land there and, uh, They've worked a really long time. I thought Chris Chamberlain's article in the scene did a really good job of telling their story in their words to what they did. What are your thoughts on this? I don't know that I have enough information to be able to intelligently talk about whether or not it's a real estate play, whether or not it's a, you know, a lifestyle decision, any of those things. Here's what I'll tell you. There are people coming to Nashville starting last week who are never going to have had a chance to eat lunch there, and I think that's sad. Agreed. But also, maybe they just wanted to retire. I mean, at the end of the day, who could blame them? You know, you you've done this thing and you've cared for so many people from such a broad spectrum of Nashville and beyond that after forty years, it's like I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this on my terms and. And again, I don't know any of them well enough to know the exact answer to that. What I will tell you is that that was a special place. And to circle back around to what's going to end up feeling like the, you know, the dead horse that I'm beating is we need more special places. So I'm, yes, I'm sad that it's gone. I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to eat there with my, with my parents or take people there anymore. Yes, but I'm also, I want to know what's going to be the next, you know, we need to be defining places like that. 
You know what I think is going to be a ve- well, I don't think I know is going to be a very very special place that I am so excited for, which is a new place opening is St. Vito yeah. in the Gulch. Oh man. And Michael Hanna is like the nicest You guys have dude. both had this pizza, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. It Spen- is, Spencione is what as, it's called. As the proprietor of a pizzeria, I will say it's the best pizza I've ever had in my life. It wow. is phenomenal. It is uh, it is so special. Tony will say the same thing. It is so special. It is so phenomenal. Michael is such a great guy. He's been a local, he's from Memphis, but he's been a local guy for a number of years and uh, has been working really hard to get this off the ground in a brick and mortar and is going to go in the Gulch in the old Colts. Colts, is that what it was? Colts Chocolate. Yeah, Yeah. Colts Chocolate location. Colts Bolts. Uh, And that's really cool because there is kind of like a little clumping of of really great local concepts there. So you'll have St. Vito, you have Barista Parlor, and you have Otaku all kind of just right there next to each other. So Carrie's not far away. Oh, and Carrie, yes, and Carrie's right there, of course. So even though, sadly, Arnold's is leaving, we still have some great local independent brands right there. And I love to see that because I do feel like the Gulch is such the, you know, kind of prime real estate for any sort of, chain or corporation or newcomer to town that that those companies have really staked their claim are there any other new restaurants that are locally owned and operated that could potentially be that special place that are coming soon that i will tell you bill sandwich palace for me oh, yeah. is something that i am really excited about yeah i mean i think kisser is going to be I, is going to be great I too think it's going to be absolutely legit but to be that special uh as far as you know Talking about Arnold's, I, I think the thing that made Arnold's special one was the food. It was, I mean, it was great. It was everything that you want it to be. It's comfort. It's warmth. What made it special was there was no barrier to entry. Guy who's jackhammering the street, sitting right next to the mayor, congressperson, whatever. Musician. And everything in between. Chef. You know, um, the fact that the the chef community, the restaurant community, wildly embraced it, uh, great. Every community embraced it because it was food for the every person, and 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 unapologetically, and deliciously. And so, for a place to be able to come in that actually gets all of that, you know, that spectrum of people, that's going to be tough. I mean, I think that was the beauty of it, but also then. You know, you look at the economics of it. I mean, it's the opposite of the story that we started with, with Noma is, you know, it, can someone or can you make it work? And so and that's the, you know, the equation part of it is actually probably the easiest part because then you've got to make it delicious. Yes, we can get it at this price point. We can do these hours. We need to do these amount of people, but it's got to be consistently delicious. That roast beef for nine years always tasted the same to me. And Rose and Khalil every day greeting you. What's going on, brother? And, and every time you sit down and Khalil always walks up and throws another little plate, sits it on the table like, what is that? And he's like, just a little something. Just just, just try this. Like, that's, that's the soul of the restaurant. That's hospitality. That that's that's If you want to know what that is, that's yeah. welcoming everybody into here. Sure. We're going to give you food that's going to – it's nourishment. It's not just I'm driving to a drive-thru to eat something real quick. It's standing in line. It's standing in line next to those people that are the jackhammers and the politicians saying, hey, man, what's your name? Hey, what, what do you like to get here? That's where community is created, in that line. It's there's. I'm not in my car flipping you off. I'm not online yelling at you. I'm standing next to you, looking you in the eye, saying, hey, it's nice to meet you. That's, Was this a point you made? 
that's did you make that point last time? I, was, I, was, I want to feel like I can't. I'm trying to. But that—that's how you create that. That's creating community. That's what makes those places special. All right, we're at the end. We do a a Gordon food service final thought to wrap everything up, and we should do this like a biweekly thing if you want. If you can come in here and just like get out, we can just do this. It'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm right down the road. You're, so. I mean, that's what I was saying. You're I like, want you to come back every week and just be like, let's talk about what pisses us off. Yeah, we can do a new take. We'll I get a sponsor. It. We'll have like, what's pissing us off today with Chef Andy Little? And you just come in and we go. Could it be sponsored by Depends? Yes. I'm like, or I was going to say like um, whoever does. Like super the, Source. Yeah, Super Source. There you go. Super Source could sponsor this segment. Give a discount on your uh, degreaser. I love that. <laughs> Jason would love that. So we do a final thought. Yeah. Last thing you want to say, kind of the mic is yours. Whatever you want to say to the oh. city of Nashville uh, we're not going to interrupt. We're not going to respond to it. We're at the end of it. We're going to say thank you for being here. We're going to hit end broadcast. I think the thing that I would say is that for the people who live in Nashville and the people who are coming to Nashville every day, you have the opportunity as an individual to define what Nashville is and where it's going. And that is a wicked amount of power. And I think a little bit of stress because we have to think about it. And you think about it with where you're going to eat. You think about it with where you're going to buy things, spend your money, or things you're going to do and talk to people about. And so that power is in each one of us. And what we decide to tell our friends about, where we decide to go, will drive where Nashville goes. So it's important. And we need to really think about it. But we also really need to go out and, like, kick it at the cool places. You know, that's that's it. And... Um, you know, Nashville is a wild city and it, it is, it has so much to offer and there are so many great people here who are working to make it an even better city than it is. Let's get behind those people. Heard. Said it all. Thank you, chef. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. your time today. Have I fun, got, have I fun got, golfing. I got a tea time. Let's, yeah, let's man, make this you, happen. You got to go. <laughs> A big thank you to Chef Andy Little for joining us on the Roundup. What do you guys think of this new format? Do you guys like just bringing a chef in and bringing up topics and having conversations? Or do you like the traditional more interview side of things? Also, what do you think about a new segment called What's Pissing Off Andy? That could be a new thing that he comes in and just talks about that. And we we move on. But it would be a good way for him to, to get that out there. Uh, we think it would be a lot of fun. Let us know. Follow us at Nashville Restaurant Radio on Instagram. Uh, I am at Brandon NRR, Brandon underscore NRR. She is at Gals and Gal. And um, follow us on YouTube. If you want to see more live videos, we're going to be recording a lot of these interviews live on YouTube as they happen. So you can join in. If you see that, hey, we're talking to so-and-so live on, you can join and you can make comments on the actual show. We're happy to have you jump into the show, but you gotta subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, you're not gonna get the notifications. And you can watch these videos. You can watch the interviews on Nashville. I think I have 152 videos posted on our YouTube page. So if you wanna see what these look like live, please feel free to jump in and go back and listen to some old episodes. I was telling somebody the other day, this is really a fun thing because starting in March 14th, 2020, we just interviewed leaders for like two and a half years. We're almost at the three-year mark. In two months, we'll be at three years. And um, 
hearing people as they're going through the pandemic, you can go back and listen to that. It's a pretty interesting, there's some pretty interesting takes. Uh, plus the old advertising, the quality of the audio, all of it is just a lot of fun to go back anytime you want to listen. Please feel free to do so. But we thank you for listening today. Stay tuned on Monday for Joe Bonavolento. This is going to be another fun one. And it's a quick one. It's like a 40-minute interview. So it's not it's not like another hour and a half like this one. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and hope that you are being safe out there. I love you guys. Bye. <laughs>